again, what I want you to see here today is essentially and primarily that our Lord Jesus Christ in this holy ordinance of the Lord's Supper has given us a means whereby you and I can be in perpetual remembrance of his death on our behalf. And as I said, I want to, I want to handle this passage of scripture uh, by way of three primary points. Again, the, the delight of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, number two, the, uh, the hope for the future that he gives us. And number three, the remembrance on, the path, on his past work of, of atonement on our, on our behalf. So the first thing I'd like to ask you to do with me, uh, with me is to take your, uh, again, take your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, and look here at verse 15. And I want to set, uh, present to you, as I said before, the deep satisfaction of our Lord Jesus Christ in this final Passover. Look here at the 15th verse. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, it's kind of interesting the way the King James uh, expresses this. With desire, I have desired. Something of an unusual expression. We don't use that kind of expression in our day today. Some of our newer translations translate it something like this. With great desire, I have desired. Or with eagerness, I have desired to have this Passover with you. And what we're seeing in this passage of Scripture is a great, again, satisfaction on on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ to be there at that place with his disciples in this final Passover. And I think it's very significant to, to see it in this way. That of all the things that are going on, of all the things that our Lord Jesus Christ knows will shortly take place, there is a deep sense of his satisfaction in being there. And I think in a very real way that this should set the stage for us or set the table for us, as it were, or set our minds for thinking how we come to the table of the Lord. I ask you the question as you come to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, is there a satisfaction of the soul? Is there a sense in which you can say, with great desire, I have desired to be in this place where the body of our Lord Jesus Christ will be visibly, visibly presented before us in the symbol of bread, where the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will be set before us in the symbol of the wine. This idea of satisfaction on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ as he communes with his, with his apostles. I think it's a very precious way to understand the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a precious way to come to the table. So this deep satisfaction on the part of our Lord. But if we were to ask the question, uh, what else can we see by way of this deep satisfaction? How can we uh, fully appreciate the, the satisfaction of our Lord Jesus Christ at this point? I would suggest to you a number of things. I think number one, I think our Lord was deeply satisfied in this moment. Because now he knew that very shortly... That which the Passover represented would be now be fulfilled in his person. That the great deliverance that was looked back upon by way of Egypt being delivered from the bondage of slavery would now be fulfilled in the greater deliverance of, this, of the people of God from the bondage of their sin. You see, I think our Lord Jesus Christ took great satisfaction with that. I think he knew and he sensed within himself that whatever the Passover pictured by way of the uh, redemption from, from bondage of slavery, a greater redemption was about to be enacted. And that greater redemption was the redemption of my soul and your soul from the bondage of sin. The bondage of sin, do you know what it is? The bondage of sin, have you recognized it in your own life? The bondage of sin, you know that thing that keeps you from doing what you want to do and causes you to do the things you don't want to do. Well, there's a deliverer from that. And I think our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was there at this table with his disciples and his, and, and, his, and his apostles, I think there was great satisfaction because they knew that as the Passover blood was shed on the, on, on, from, from the Passover lamb, so this blood would be shed. 
in order that there would be this greater deliverance given. Oh, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this, this bondage of sin is something that you and I cannot overlook. This bondage of sin is something that you and I cannot just think as a, as a, as a particular way of expressing a religious idea. And I would say this to you, if you want to understand the bondage of sin, see and understand the difficulty with which you and I have to keep ourselves free from sin. Sin is this seemingly, this power that just seems to attach itself all for the delivering power of Jesus Christ. If you don't think sin is, brings ruin to life, look around. Look and see what sin has done. Look at lives that have been wasted. Look at lives that have been cut short. Look at lives that never come what they never, never become what they ought to be because sin got in the way. And there was sin with all of its foolish promises. And there are people all the, all the way along saying, I'll take this and I'll take that. And you've heard me say this before. Sin promises more than it can give and it takes more than it promises. It leaves you bankrupt at the end. And I think our Lord Jesus Christ had this great satisfaction. I think he desired to be there because he knew there was coming a time where that power would be broken. Do you know that power? Do you know the power of redeeming blood? I think our Lord Jesus Christ, again, Lord, Lord Jesus, why this deep satisfaction? Oh, because blood would be shed to break the power of sin. Oh, there's satisfaction in coming to this table, is there not? But I think there's another reason why our Lord Jesus Christ had this deep satisfaction. I think he knew and understood that this final Passover would be the inauguration or the institution of the new covenant. The new covenant, that great Old Testament promise whereby God promises to write his law upon our hearts to where now the law of God is not just an external form placed upon us, but the law of God is an internal compelling um, uh, 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 love and motivation in the heart. And this is all brought about not by our own willpower. This is brought about by that sister, that twin blessing of the new covenant, which is the spirit of God dwelling within. Oh, the satisfaction that Jesus had at this Last Supper. He knew that his people would be empowered to do the very things that they're called to do. And so I think our Lord Jesus Christ was very satisfied by this. How can he not have had the, 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 uh, the words of, uh, of Jeremiah? But this is the, shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see again, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through, through 27. Then I will sprinkle, sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Oh, to be clean from our filthiness. Brothers and sisters, do you know what it's like? You know what it's like to, to come at the end of a day and, and just soak in the shower and be clean. It's, it's wonderful, but to be clean from spiritual filthiness? You see, this is the great promise of the new covenant. Verse 27, verse 26, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit will I put within you. See, our Lord Jesus Christ, there was a great desire to be there. Why? Because this would be the inauguration of this new covenant. That's why he says, this is, the, this is the new covenant in my blood. And so our Lord was greatly satisfied in this. Deep satisfaction our Lord experienced there. I think there's another reason why our Lord was deeply satisfied in this. And it was because this final Passover would be the fulfilling of the Father's will. Our Lord delighted in that. You know, he loved this. You know, he loved to do his Father's will. He says this over and over again. 
The Psalms uh, prophesy that this would be the case with our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Those said, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. This was spoken of the Lord Jesus Christ. He delights to do the will of God. You know what it's like to, to, to do the will of the one that you love. You know what it's like to, 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 to sense a, a sense of satisfaction on, on the part of those of, of that one who you love that you're doing something for. And our Lord Jesus Christ loved to do the will of the Father. So I think this great gave him great delight as well. And there's a sense in which the Lord recognizes this. He knew that the Father had a particular love for him because he did his Father's will. John chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to this. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life. My father loves me because I laid down my life. And here he was on the night before. He laid down his life. There was great delight, deep satisfaction. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. Therefore doth my father love me because I laid down my life. Don't you love Jesus because he laid down his life for you? Do you understand this? The very thing that the Father loves and delights in the Son, the Father has given it that we might delight in that same thing. Oh, this love of Jesus Christ that, that knows no end, this love of Jesus Christ that will go to the cross, this love of Jesus Christ that will vanquish hell. <laughs> With great desire, he desired to have this Passover. Why? You see why. And so again, in this passage of Scripture, we see... The, the, the deep satisfaction of our Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. But the second thing I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is not only the deep satisfaction that our Lord experienced, the second thing I want you to see is that this was a time, not only of satisfaction, but this was a time in which he spoke of his future glory. And in speaking of his future glory, he established hope for his church. What's interesting is I, is, is, is I read this passage of Scripture, I, I don't really see this point like resonating at this time with the disciples. I, I might not be reading the passage, passage sufficiently, but, but I don't think the, the point that I'm going to develop here was as held on to in the moment, in the minds of the apostles, as it, as it will be later on in the writing of the New Testament. What am I speaking of? Well, look what our Lord says here in verse 16, and then again in verse 18. He says the following, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, uh, verse 18, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of vine until the kingdom of God shall come. In this passage, in these two passages of Scripture, what we're seeing is this, is our Lord Jesus Christ is giving a future look, a future emphasis to what is taking place in that moment. He's speaking of a time when there will be another supper. He's speaking of a time when there will be another feast. He's speaking of a time when there will be another meal. I think we can put it something like this. Yes, we know that this is called in the life of our Lord Jesus, in the earthly life of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is called the last supper. But can I say this? It's not the final supper because there's another supper to come. Amen. And the Bible and the scripture tells us, blessed are they who are called to that supper. Are you called to that supper? It's the supper of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's that supper that the Lord Jesus Christ looks forward to. It's that supper that he says, I'm coming again and I will again sit and I will eat with you and I will have fellowship with you around the table. And this table should, in our minds, give us that forward thought. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, what is he doing here? He is preparing us for the future of, for, for his future glory. 
You see, again, this is the great thing that we see over and over again. The cross of Jesus Christ is not the end of Jesus Christ. You know that. The cross of Jesus Christ is not the victory of his, of his enemies over him. You know that. The cross of Jesus Christ is that great work whereby he vanquishes death and hell. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Our Savior, our conqueror comes up out of the grave. Why? Because death can't hold him. Because there's a future glory yet to be seen. Because there's another supper. Yes, as I said before, the last supper we understand it, but not the final supper. You see, again, it's not a fatal meal. It's a parting meal. Yes, he'll have this meal as he parts from his church, for, as he parts from his disciples uh, for, for a short time, but he's coming back. And this idea of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory, you know this is the great emphasis in the scripture. Now, as I said before, I think what's interesting here, none of the disciples like pick up on it and they say, oh, that's going to be great. We, we, we can't wait for it. And this is why I say, I don't know if, they, if, if it registered with them uh, you know, uh, as much as we might think that it would. But obviously it becomes one of the great themes of all biblical revelation. Give, give the Apostle Paul a chance to preach. What's he preaching about? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming again in glory. Give him a chance to write. And what's he writing about? He's, coming, he's, he's writing about the fact of our Lord coming in and uh, returning in glory. Give the Apostle John a, ch a chance to write. And what's he writing about? Oh, he's writing about, again, this, this glorious Lord who's going to return. And so this becomes a great theme of all New Testament preaching. Again, Jesus saying, uh, verse 16 and 18, I will uh, not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It's kind of interesting because when you go just a little, a little further in this 22nd chapter, if you look down at verse 30, our Lord Jesus Christ again picks up the theme of this coming kingdom and of this coming banquet. Look at verses, uh, look at verses uh, here, 29 and 30 of Luke chapter uh, 22. It's right there on the same page for you. Jesus says this, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But did you see that? That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. There's coming another supper. And this supper reminds us of the supper to come. Yes, the last supper, but not the final supper. A parting meal, but another meal yet to come. And so in this passage of Scripture, our Lord Jesus Christ is not only expressing deep satisfaction to be there, He is also speaking of His future glory and planting within His church a hope that cannot and will not be extinguished. Oh, this hope within the, within, uh, the church of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, this hope that is in the life and the hearts of believers. And you know, this idea of a future glory is something that as Christians we should never lose sight of. You know, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. It's a wonderful thing uh, to live a life uh, well lived. Uh, oftentimes people will talk about uh, the art of living well. Well, the Christian has that over and over again. The Christian has everything that he needs to, to live a life well. But when he or she comes to the end of his days, it's not just, okay, the life has been uh, lived well and now that's it. No, a glory is yet to come. A participation in a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ is yet to be seen. And so again, the great hope of the Christian. Never lose sight of that hope, my brothers and sisters. Never lose sight of that hope. Every account of the Lord's Supper, uh, in every, I'm sorry, in every account of the Lord's Supper, the future element is stressed. The Last Supper is not the final meal, but a parting meal. And every time we join in the observance of the Lord's table, we are saying that there is yet a coming meal, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that meal is pictured for us both in parable and in prophecy. 
In parable in Matthew chapter 22, we read this. The, key, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And here I am. I'm calling you who are bidden to this wedding. Invitations are given. The invitations are there. Will you come to this feast? Matthew chapter 22, I'm sorry, verses 2 and 3. Matthew chapter 22. And there's where we see, there's where we see the, uh, the, uh, the, the parable of it. It's set forth in parable. But we also see it set forth in prophecy. And again, the passage we've been referring to in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, you see, and then John goes on to say, and he say, the angel goes on to say, and he saith unto me, these are, the, these are the true sayings of God. You see, the true saying of God is that there is another feast yet to come. And while we participate in this feast, we look forward to that coming feast. Oh, the blessedness, the blessedness of that night. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, he was, he was experiencing deep satisfaction uh, in that moment, uh, uh, he was also, uh, again, speaking of his future glory and giving to his church great hope. But of course, the third thing that he was doing and the primary thing that he was doing is he was uh, giving to us uh, an ordinance whereby we would remember perpetually uh, his suffering. And that's really why we are here around the table of the Lord. I think this is very significant because, as, as, as I said before, uh, so many things, everything about the Lord Jesus Christ is memorable. I, I tried to, in, in preparing this, I tried to say, well, okay, this is memorable about the Lord, and that's memorable about the Lord, and this is memorable about the Lord, and that's memorable about the Lord. And that, well, it's all memorable when you come to the Lord Jesus. Everything is memorable about Him. But it's this particular ordinance that focuses on His death that Jesus Christ specifically identifies the means whereby He would have you and me remember Him. I think I used this illustration here in the past. And I think I said this. If there was a man who was rushing into a, a burning building in order to save our family, and he knew he wouldn't get out, right before he ran into that building, turned around and looked at us and said, remember this, remember me. Would you ever be able to forget that man? Would you ever be able to forget that? And our Lord Jesus Christ is doing that. As he goes to the cross, he turns around and he says, remember this and remember it in the table. That every time you gather as a church, every time you express your fellowship one with another, remember this. We can't get enough of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, can we? Oh, you see again so many things, that so many ways in which Christianity is sometimes presented. Oh, what a, what a great moral system it is. It is. What a great ethical system it is. It is. What a great way of living it is. It is. But take away the death of Christ, and what do you have? You have nothing. It's Jesus Christ dying for sinners. He says, remember me. You know, the idea of remembrance in the scripture is very, very important. Can't get away from it. So oftentimes we're, we're called to remember certain things. The Passover meal was a remembrance. Remembrance is all the way through the scripture. We even have remembrance by way of, uh, by way of uh, uh, an act that we're to, 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 to engage in. I, th I think of passages like Proverbs 10 and, and Psalm 112. Proverbs 10 verse 7 says this, uh, the memory of the just, the memory of the just is blessed. It is, isn't it? Psalm 112 verse 6, surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. We see this thing of the memory. When we look back and we think on these things, 
the memory of the just is blessed. Remembrance, though, whenever we use it in the biblical terminology, and especially as we come to the Lord's table, really has a, an emphasis on a sense in which we're not just making a, 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 a bare mental recollection. Uh, there is a sense in which a little more is going on there. Uh, the idea here, particularly when we come to the Lord's table, is that there is a sense in which we are bringing from the past into the present that which happened then. We're entering into that experience. I, I was teaching one time on um, another element of remembrance uh, from the scripture, not from the uh, Lord's Supper. But one of the things that, that you see when you look at remembrance from a biblical point of view and the call to remembrance is that in a very real way, from the standpoint of it's dynamic on the soul, the sense is don't forget what God has done in the past. And by way of remembrance, remember he can do it now. What a wonderful thing. What a way to think. The death of Christ, the blood of Christ never loses its power. As it was able to save on that day, it will save on this day. Is it able to save on, on this day? It's able to save whatever day we look at. Our Lord Jesus Christ, able to save. And so this is what we see by way of remembrance. Now, our commentators and our scholars tell us the following. Uh, the Hebrew uh, for the word for or the Hebrew idea for remembrance suggests not merely a calling to mind, but something more objective. A remembrance is an objective act uh, uh, in which in, in which uh, the person and the event commemorated is made present or brought into the here and now. Even in the Passover, uh, the Passover was not simply re repeated, but every individual participant is urged to regard that celebration as if he were there. And when we come to the Lord's table, why do we come? Why do, why do I send out these emails? We're, we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's uh, Supper of this Lord's Day. Let's take time to examine ourselves and to prepare ourselves. Why do we do that? Because it's a, it's a holy time. It's a time in which we look back on, on the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood for us, for me, for you. It's a sense in which we, we approach this with reverence and awe. Why? Because of everything that is, that is included in the idea of memory, of bringing the past event into the present. Not by way of a repetition, but by way of a reality in the mind. And again, with this concept also that what God did in the past, he's able to do now. And so this idea of remembrance then, well, like I said, so many things about Christ are memorable. Stop and think about his person. His person. We saw a little bit of that last week in the transfiguration. How is it that God becomes man? How is it that the Apostle Paul can say in, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that the fullness, the fullness, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in Christ? The philosophical question, how can, how can, how can, how can uh, uh, that which is infinite be contained in the finite? The glorious person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Memorable. Think on it. Chew on it. Be lost in wonder and awe in considering it. His miraculous power again. His power knows no bounds. This Jesus that you go to in prayer. This Jesus who can deliver you from every one of your afflictions. This Jesus who you love, memorable. His gracious words. Remember they said that about him? The words, the gracious words that he spoke. And there you are, maybe early in the morning or late at night, and you've got your Bible open in front of you. And something about that passage of Scripture just sinks in your heart. Those gracious words, memorable. But Jesus says, in my death, that's how you remember me. So this, this focus 
then, and this, this, uh, this command of our Lord to remember him in his death leads us with the question, uh, how, should we, how should we remember him in his death? What, what should we focus on? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we have to come back to the Passover. So that whenever we think about the death of Christ, we think of the fulfillment of everything that the Passover suggested, represented, everything that the the Passover was by way of a deliverance from the power of Egypt to a deliverance from the power of sin. Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. He says, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And so I think there's a very real way in which we have to connect the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord's Supper, with the fulfillment of the Passover. I think we also have to think about and remember when we come to the table of the Lord and when our Lord Jesus Christ asks us to do this in remembrance of him, remembrance of him, we have to remember its substitutionary nature. It's repeated twice in the passage we've looked at, Luke chapter 22. This is my body given for you, for you, substitution. This is my, this is my blood shed for you. Do, you. do you understand what the gospel is? Can I, can I stop here for a little bit? Do you understand what the gospel is? The gospel is Jesus Christ, God's beloved son, dying in your place for your sin. That whereas I should stand before a holy God who in his holiness has every right to consume me, who if he should open this ground right now and send me to the pit of hell would not be unjust. That God, the only true living God, gave his son to die as a substitute for me. His blood shed for you. So when you think of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you come to the table, remember it was blood shed for you, substitutionary. So there's a fulfilling aspect in the Passover. There's a substitutionary aspect of it as well. And again, whenever, what else we think about this, the, the categories in which we, in which we think, uh, the fulfillment of the uh, Passover, the, the category of a substitutionary death, I think there's one more thing that we can say or another, another battery of, of questions maybe that we can apply to this and, and they would be the following. And maybe I should put this this way. Maybe can I make these suggestions to you? Can I suggest then when you think on his death that number one, you think deeply on his death? Isn't this the, what was in the mind of the hymn writer when he said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died? You see, there was, a, there, was, there was deep consideration of the cross of Christ. How can it be that this one should die for me? Oh, let us learn to think deeply on the cross when we come to the table. But I would also suggest that we should think about the death of Christ with wonder. Wasn't this in the mind of the hymn writer when he said, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's death? Died he for me? You see, we look to the death of Jesus Christ with wonder. And of course, the last way that we look at the death of our Lord Jesus Christ would be with love. And again, the hymn writer helps us out here. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. It tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. I'm not free just from Egypt, brothers and sisters. By the grace of God, I'm free from the commanding power of sin, Jesus Christ on the cross. And now he calls us to remember.
So as we close out this, this sermon, what would be our points of application? Well, the first thing I would ask is this. Will you be, can you be, would you be as deeply satisfied in this holy ordinance as Jesus was on the night he instituted it? Well, he was satisfied with great desire. I've desired. Will you have that desire when you come to the table? Secondly, as Christ spoke of a future supper yet to come, let us look forward to that future supper. Let us participate in this holy meal with a recognition of the meal that's yet to come. And then thirdly, as Christ has ordained that we remember his death, let us resolve that our minds will never be far from the cross of Christ, that in the cross of Christ we will glory and ever speak of its saving purposes. My brothers and sisters, may we come to this holy table with hearts that have been made right by way of the work of the Spirit and hearts that have been prepared through the preaching of the Word. You see, the ordinance and the Word always go together. There is never to be a time when the ordinance is given without the Word being preached. Well, may God give us grace in these things and let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this ordinance that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us to nourish our souls, to feed us as we pilgrim through this world. Give us grace, we pray now, Lord God, to look back on that great substitutionary act of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can it be that we would have an interest in the Savior's death? Oh, Father, in the gospel, you have revealed it. Yes, we can, and we thank you for that. And I do pray, Lord God, for each and every one that are here today. Some are young, Lord God, and I don't know if they've come to deal with you on the, through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that in this moment you would make hearts right. There are others here, Lord God, who, who are still in, in relative youth and, and, and may be coming into the, into, the, into the vigor of manhood, Father. Oh, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, give a resolve, I pray, to live a life for your glory. May they know what it is to be a man who stands for God in this age. And Father, for those, Lord, as well, who have, who have lived their lives, who have, who have stayed the course, who have spoke to the coming generations. Oh, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, may this blessed time around the table be a time of true soul nourishment. Grant these things, Father, we ask, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.